welcome to the Arctic Shores TA Disruptors podcast. And today I'm very excited uh, to be welcoming Sonia Pawson, who I've known for over five years now and is one of the most respected uh, talent acquisition leaders in the country. And I'll explain now why of the many things that you've um, done in the past, uh, starting off, I believe, in the helping selection and assessment within the prison service, and then for the last few years running arguably, I think, the the most prestigious and premium graduate programme uh, in the country, the Civil Service Fast Stream programme. Uh, I know you look after uh, more than 250 staff uh, covering uh, not just the uh, selection and assessment and onboarding of 1,000 grad roles, but the entire uh, L&D uh, offer across many sectors of, of government as well. Um, so somebody with a lot of experience in, in clearly in, in talent acquisition, but also uh, I know that you're a, a, a chartered fellow of the Institute of Personnel and Development, and also, which I'm especially excited about for, for the discussion that we'll have today, a chartered uh, occupational psychologist from the British Psychological Society. So a lot of practical experience, a lot of knowledge as well from, from both a sort of academic but also very much uh, a practitioner perspective on uh, identifying uh, what uh, makes people... Uh, successful in different types of roles and and I think the the final bit just to add on this introduction on this is that I know that you are especially um, passionate about uh, best practice in assessment and maintaining the highest uh, ethical standards so with that introduction and that sort of mix of, of many things that you'll bring to the conversation today welcome to the podcast Sonia uh, and I'm looking forward to, to talking with you. But perhaps um, you you could just uh, give some of the listeners a, a bit more of about you know what you do in your your current role. Thanks, Robert. I'm delighted to be here as well um, to to talk about selection and assessment and the advancements in AI. Um, so I have had, as you've um, outlined, 20 years or so. I can't believe that now we're looking back, um, practical experience in terms of developing selection and assessment methods, but also working in corporate HR roles. Mm -hmm. So what I um, find in in the day job now is having to be pragmatic, um, efficient, productive, but also keep those good ethical best standards, um, you know, front and center of everything. Um, my current role at the moment, as you, you've said, um, so part of my portfolio is involves managing the civil service fast stream. So that's a very prestigious graduate programme, um, number two now in the Times Top 100 um, listing. And we typically bring in around about a thousand graduates um, a year onto 16 different schemes and they're deployed across um, across government, across 30 plus government departments right. and um, arms length bodies. But I'm also responsible for what we call the government campus. So we um, deliver a centralised training L&D offer for all civil servants. So right from um, entry, um, thinking about all the universal skills and capabilities, up to the most senior leadership roles and and indeed ministerial induction. Wow, fascinating. So, you know, a broad remit, very much um, centred around skills Mm -hmm. and clearly thinking about 
the skills that we're going to need for the future. Uh, and so I imagine a, you know, a big part of uh, your thinking and planning is, is around the upskilling and, uh, and then equally how we identify people with the potential uh, for uh, a landscape that is rapidly mm-hmm. uh, changing. And I think, you know, with that in mind, start off your thoughts and perspectives about Gen AI and mm. how you think that's going to uh, impact the selection process. Um, and it would be interesting just to hear whether you think that we're just early days on this or whether you think that there is actually something quite significant about what's happening now and and actually there's a bit of urgency uh, in your mind and perhaps in your team about uh, what the impact might be. Yeah thanks Robert. Um, Well I think it's fair to say um, that you know from my viewpoint is generative AI is here, it's already here, there is an urgency. Um, So I think we need to embrace rather than resist. Mm -hmm. Um, That's certainly the message that I'm giving to my teams. actually faster than I've ever seen before in terms of any kind of innovations in the last 20 years. And um, so, yeah, I do think it is arguably the biggest innovation um, that we've seen over the last 20 years. Um, If I think about the move that we made, um, we brought in employment tests when I was first employed. I I remember going to Invigilate, pencil and paper-based testing, um, and then we saw the um, the move to online tests and so on. Um, But what I do think... um, the conversation that I have with my teams a lot around um, selection and assessment and the inclusion of AI is we need to stay true to our first principles. So thinking about fairness, reliability and validity, um, because in a sense, those are the guardrails. And I think you and I spoke previously around the guardrails that can protect against unintended bias. So we know where we use large language models. Um, We've heard of the horror stories um, around built in bias. And um, I was just reading something last week, actually, um, around um, AI and stereotypes. And Mm. I think it was Bloomberg found that images associated um, the most professional jobs with men. So there's lots for us to to guard against. um, And we shouldn't, I think, um, prioritise efficiency over prediction and diversification. And I can explain a little bit more about that. Um, So I think my role as a leader in this field Mm -hmm. is to um, kind of balance up the risk or the potential risks that might face candidates and applicants, but also with the drive to do things quicker, better, Mm. shorter. And I think, you know, puts, you know, from a user centric angle, that's what candidates want to see us doing. Um, And I was thinking about, you know, how to bring this to life for the audience um, when I talk about reliability, validity and across my career, some of some of the the selection processes that I've developed and delivered and an unreliable or an unvalid test in many ways um, is so costly, never mind unethical. Um, And I was thinking about in government, some of the roles, what what that may mean. So, for example, if we had an unvalid reliable, invalid test for the selection of RAF pilots, that would mean they could be granted a license without the knowledge required to fly a plane. Um, A prison officer could be recruited without the skills required to keep the public safe. Or 
I don't know, a commercial expert could be required without the, the skills and knowledge um, needed and, and end up costing the taxpayer thousands of pounds. So there's lots to think about. But mm. that said, uh, what I'm keen to do is ensure that we establish multidisciplinary teams mm-hmm. to develop tests and assessments that, um, that are fair and that are valid. And you talked about um, occupational psychology or business psychology. But in my mind, um, there's always a red flag if we don't have an occupational psychologist in the room, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think psychologists bring, bring a critical skill set to ensure that models are reliable um, and, like I said, fair. But I think complementing the data scientists scientists and analysts to develop tests so going back to your your first point of the question is um what am i encouraging my teams to do well it's definitely to encourage um, an experiment with um, new technology um, and with ai i think a lot about learning agility getting um you know creating a um, safe environment where individuals can can kind of get into the learning zone um encourage each other to be curious um, and to have the courage to innovate um, that's really important i think and really think about how we can maximize the use of technology enablers um, through selection and assessment because um, when you know in the in the kind of um war for talent if we like to call it that um it, it's really important that we remain at the leading edge and we're incorporating new methodology um as, as quickly as we possibly can Thank you. A lot to unpick there, and some some really interesting points. If you know, if we start with the um, efficiency versus mm. effectiveness piece, because that must always be one of the biggest challenges in the public sector. You know, everybody wants as taxpayers um, best value for money. At the same time, we want RAF pilots that fly mm-hmm. planes in the right way, and we want prison officers. Um, to be able to do their job effectively too. So where do you, you know, I I like your point about guardrails Mm. in in all of this. So what do you see the challenges are then to getting this balance right between efficiency and at the same time delivering what we need to deliver, which is the right people with the right skills into these or potential to be trained into these roles. So where do you think Gen AI or where the guardrails need to be? Because clearly it's going to deliver some efficiency and it'd be interesting to see Mm -hmm. what you think. Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And I think where I'm most worried is where I see the um, introduction of um, AI or um, algorithms or, Mm. you know, whatever, you know, whichever kind of... um, approach we're, we're talking about here quickly brought into such an assessment without that kind of due consideration of measuring um, the constructs so I, I always keep going back to validity and reliability but I think that's what's um, the most concerning because I think what I certainly see in the public sector and across sectors is this drive for okay AI is is here let's what can we be doing very quickly and I think um there is this ethical responsibility of saying, okay, let's keep pace, let's be creative, let's pilot and test some some mm-hmm. things, but let's do that with proper evaluation, impact-led evaluation, so that we can really know, are these methods creating any unintended bias any, yes. against any particular um, groups? Because um, it's not generally intended, actually, when, when there's an inbuilt bias. Um, and also... 
are we predicting success in the job role? Because, yes. you know, going back again to another first principle is the reason that we have selection um, tests um, through the process is, is really we want a correlation between performance on the test and performance in the job role. So I think introducing some of those principles of validation and, and measurement are really important. Can I just on that point, because I think it'd be really interesting given your experience mm. and um, in the world of government, you probably have a, a much harsher lens on your results and fairness mm-hmm. and how you ensure diversity. So how, how do you approach then that validity and reliability piece when you're introducing a new piece of technology in this? You know, do, you, do you have a way that you pilot it or do you have a way that you can test the validity and reliability? Is that through questions? Is it through a pilot? Is, it would be interesting to hear how you, how you go about that. Yes. Well, you know, generally um, many um, people will, you know, know that designing a test, designing reliable items um, and valid items takes time. Mm-hmm. But the problem is here, I think, is we don't have the time that we may have had in the past to you know to spend one or two years in terms of um, piloting and refining and validating an instrument so one thing that we can do is um, run concurrent studies so bring something in you know we've got um, a, a very large um, especially with the civil service fast stream we typically have around about 60,000 applicants okay. so yeah. through the online testing stage um, a, a huge data set that we, we can um, test out in a safe way um, whether some of these new models are working because I think what I'm mindful of is um, over the years, large language models um, or, you know, making sense of unstructured data um, and incorporating machine learning or algorithms um, is not particularly new, but we just need to have um, time for the psychologists, the the data scientists to work through and understand the structure and the psychological underpinning. Um, Also then post-test, apply some of the the statistical models that we know, whether that be the the simple four-fifths rule of thumb or um, or more sophisticated Cohen's D statistical analysis to see whether there is actually any unfair impact against any any particular groups and that's something that we need to to, to keep measuring um but then also this investment in longer term longitudinal follow-up the predictive validation mm-hmm. to see whether actually what um the test um is is predicting future job performance like i said so that takes a little bit more time and sometimes we can be squeezed in organizations because of this um you know need for Im- immediate result we're, we're sometimes squeezed to kind of do things quickly and then not invest sufficiently in in the um the research or the evaluation that's really necessary yes so i think that's a uh... You know, a couple of really good points that you bring out there. One is you need to do the research uh, around all of this and, and understand things. But I think it comes back to, to your earlier point about multidisciplinary uh, teams on this and the importance of having data scientists mm-hmm. and psychologists uh, working together on this. Uh, I'm sure, you know, you're familiar too with that story from Amazon on this and how they ended up, mm-hmm. you know, doing a sort of CV passing to try and predict job performance, um, but using a data set that clearly mm-hmm. uh, an occupational psychologist would have had one look at and said, this isn't representative. And so I, 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 I suppose... Part of it is when you're doing, I get the point about concurrent studies, do you then put together a a team and is your advice to people, I suppose, who are looking at, you know, taking on new technology and introducing things like algorithms, Mm. get an occupational psychologist involved, 
because they've got first principles mm -hmm. and training that means that if it's just a data scientist and a co you know looking at a correlation they might miss something yes um I'm sure my fellow psychologists will be really pleased for, uh, that I'm promoting um, that. But I, I actually think, you know, let's not underestimate the um, the importance of having the, the right expertise, mm. the right specialist and technical expertise. And I think, you know, occupational psychologists won't have that all um, in terms of developing some of the, the models. And I think that's why it's a fusion of um, a, um, different skills to, to get to the um, optimal product. Yes. That's right, and, and and I think that's part of, you know, as people are starting to think about the impact of, of Gen AI, that's going mm. to be important. One of the things, just uh, going back to your point about, you know, it takes time to kind of develop these mm -hmm. things, validity and reliability. What's your take about, do you, the, I suppose, the impact of Gen AI is going to have this large language model. Mm -hmm. So it's going to take anything that's language based and yes. and have a, a probabilistic uh, outcome that it can generate very quickly from that mm -hmm. so as you're thinking about how your processes now are are working do you see any risk or threat that large language models will bring into the selection methods that we we currently have in place or you have in place or many many people using similar kind of processes at the moment yes um, most definitely and I've been really pleased actually to read um, the research that you've published Robert with Arctic Shores because I think the, the the methods that are going to be most vulnerable to um, the onset of you know chat GPT, BARD, um, mm. AI, are the more traditional uh, methods around CV, statement of suitability, yes. um, and also, uh, as we've seen from your research, verbal reasoning, mm. Um, mm. situational judgment test to some extent, and, and numerical reasoning to some extent, all of which actually um, we use in the civil service and, and currently in the fast stream selection um, process, which is five stages. So... Um, I'm really thoughtful about those areas. Um, I actually am um, behind your campaign to scrap the CV. Oh, um, we've done some of our own research in the civil service because um, um, actually still most commonly across um, different levels and job roles, um, recruiters or hiring managers ask for a CV to support the application. Typically, um, that's um, combined with behavioural answers to behaviour-based questions, which, again, are very um, susceptible to the, um, the large language yes. um, model um, onset. So I think moving away from, from CVs and statements of suitability to a, a more holistic skill um, task-based assessment is where we're heading. Um, and uh, our psychology team for the civil service at the moment is developing a, a new measure of behaviours yes. that is more kind of psychometric-based Based, but um, will hopefully move us away from that reliance on the CV within yes. the application process, which I think is is the most vulnerable. So, like I say, looking for an alternative measure, but that one that still has uh, robust principles in terms of um, construct validity and reliability. Okay, thank you. I think I'm, I, you know, I always love the fact that um, I have more people joining my campaign to scrap the CV, and it's interesting that you know you see that gen ai actually probably mm. going to accelerate mm -hmm. that need anyway but but there is just an argument that the cv has had its time i think the 
the interesting thing for me about what you were just saying there too is that one of the things that stops people um, starting that mindset of can we scrap the CV is there an alternative mm. and I think what you've just shared with us there and you've been developing your own sort of behavioral measure and, and perhaps it'd be nice just to hear a, a bit more of of how you how you think people can make that change and, and there are things that that you're doing internally around this to to scrap the CV mm-hmm. uh, on this because it's a lot of people it's you know it's comfort blanket for them and really hard this very idea of gosh I've got my bit of paper with a CV on there how possibly mm. and public sector is 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 not known as being you know the the one um, usually to embrace change so. Are you using Gen AI as a reason then for maybe challenging people as to to why the CV and then developing your own method? It's just lovely to hear as to how how you think you you might bring about some of that change in the public sector. Yeah, I think Gen AI, Gen AI is definitely a catalyst, um, but also I like I say we've done our own um, internal research um, looking um, across a huge data set, which we're very fortunate to have, mm. and we found actually that. Over 40% of candidates responding to a reaction level survey say they find it hard to to apply for jobs in the civil service because right. of the, you know, if there's a CV requirement or, or the civil service behaviours. So one thing that we're moving towards, like I say, is the development of um, a new um, assessment tool that is... Um, a success factor tool in, based on behaviours but with psychometric properties and having a talent and also motive split um, if anyone's familiar with the wave assessment similar similar in, in vein to that but designed specifically for civil service roles right. and the questions and the content will only be included if they're predictive of future performance so that's in, in, in the process of being designed at the moment um, but the other um, methods that we incorporate so for example in the the selection process for the civil service fast stream. Our second stage um, of testing is includes more task based um, scenarios, so work based scenarios with lots of video and interactive content, mm. um, and that really works well and is less vulnerable, I think, to um, to to manipulation or or the use of Chat GPT if that's where we want to head in terms of prevention use. But then again, that's a provocation, isn't it, Robert? Like, do we want to encourage candidates and applicants to use and incorporate um, some of the AI in their own application process? Um, That's something that I'm quite thoughtful about at the moment. Well, let's just pick up on that one. And and I think, you know, what you've sort of shared there is, is, is absolutely right, which is that... Uh, we, we do need to think about the, the process. There is an alternative to the CV. Uh, it needs to be a bit more behavioural based. Mm-hmm. Gen AI actually now indicates that it needs to be a bit more interactive. And then we have this challenge. Um, and, and we have talked a bit about that and be nice to explore it a bit more now of do we encourage candidates uh, to use Gen AI in the process, and we talked about mm-hmm. we've got to embrace it. You know, the, the cat's out of the bag on this one. Everybody's using it it's like a calculator. So, to, to, I mean, I don't think many people have worked out all the answers to this one. But, but where is your thinking at the moment around this? Is it something that you want to put on your career site and say, if you want to use Gen AI, great, just tell us, or don't say anything and and hope that 
you know you can spot it or you know there are there are a number of different challenges around that so so how are you thinking about it at the moment definitely not in the in the latter um, i think <laughs> yes. um and then that's really interesting i've i've, I've read quite a bit recently and had um, loads of discussions with colleagues and peers around well should we be looking to deter use mm -hmm. um, should we be looking to introduce kind of remote proctoring into yes. testing or, or should we indeed go back to um, traditional me more methods face-to-face um, -face, invigilated pencil and, and paper tests which I don't think you know definitely no. not I, I wouldn't be <laughs> recommending we do that um, I was actually at a um, event last week and we were inducting um, our new graduates into the civil service and I took the opportunity to just test out and, and um, you know, based on your research where I think it was, you know, 72% yes. of, of applicants suggest they're now exploring using mm -hmm. chat GPT and maybe a fifth of those when they're actually applying for jobs. I thought I'd do a little experiment. So I asked um, a group that I was with to, to just raise their hands if they had used chat G GPT when applying for um, the, the civil service fast stream. And it was a bit tentative, I think, mm -hmm. um, that, you know, but eventually most of them did start raising their hands. Um, so it's here. Um, yes. And I think that's what we need to to be really thinking about, okay, then, how do we make best use of Gen AI in the process, like we would do in the workplace? Mm -hmm. So from a skills angle, um, a lot of um, the focus that I have at the moment is um, building digital and data literacy and capability. Right. So if that's what we want and, and we see the, the, um, you know, the future of work changing with arguably humans doing more value-added jobs, then we want to be thinking about that through the selection process. So I think definitely um, embracing. I'm, I've always been a fan of holistic um, assessments. So kind of triangulating multiple sources, mm. a bit like mm -hmm. the assessment center method, really yes. um, multi-method, multi-data points, multi-source to get the best measure and prediction of um, an individual's potential capability, skills and so on. So I'm, I'm really thinking about that holistic methodology and much more of a move to um, the, the task-based um, approach, like I say, in our, our second stage currently in the mm -hmm. fast stream selection mm -hmm. process. However, that said, I think it is going to take a little bit of time to, to move fully away from the numerical and verbal and, and situational judgment test. Yes. So, but that's something that we, we, you know, I think we've got to be really um, thinking about, thinking about and, mm -hmm. and, you know, it's not a case of um, sticking our head in the sand and, and hoping it doesn't come or it doesn't happen because it is. Um, and that's why I've been really pleased to see your commitment to research and sharing the research, yes. because I think it is true to say, as practitioners in the field, where we want to hold ourselves up to mm -hmm. to the gold standards, um, we need um, we need the research to be shared. Um, I think there's a, a bit of a gap at the moment um, in, in that area. So I'd be encouraging practitioners, academics to, you know, to make and publish free access research so that we can together kind of move forward and innovate absolutely no thank you and thank you for your encouragement on that one i i i i'm with you know part of the reason when when arctic shores uh, and i was sort of speaking with the team to conduct mm. this research was um not so much to go and you know make a sort of a statement about one form of psychometric assessment versus another it was gen ai is here it's moving very rapidly um, it could have as much impact on, you know, a task-based assessment as it might do on a language-based one. Um, so let's start 
thinking about how we might research of what its impact would be mm. and put it out into uh, the, the sort of general discussion points so that people can leverage because, you know, the, I, I'm a very strong believer in the benefits of psychometric assessment. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't, it doesn't do Arctic Shores any benefit if, if the world is then running around going, Gen AI is, is going to undermine psychometrics. There's, there's, as you say, there's been lots of innovation in the past around this. So it's more a case of, right, well, how do we understand it and how do we adapt to it and how do we move on from it and how do we actually you know, take psychometric assessment to the next level mm. rather than hoping that you know, it'll go away because it's not, as you say, it's, gonna go, it's not going to go away from this. So is your... So I, I, I get your point around this, that there's going to be, we're going to have to think about doing things a bit differently, a bit more interactive. Um, and it's not something that people can put their you know, head in the sand and hope it doesn't come around on this. So you are actively thinking at the moment about how you're going to change your website and your career. What's, you know, if somebody's about to apply for the mm. fast stream thing, and they go, oh, can I use Gen AI on this? Uh, am I meant to be, you know, am I going to be disadvantaged if I use it? Uh, because they're going to say, oh, you've used AI. Uh, we're going to detect that and therefore rule you out. That seems a bit unfair to me. So what's your what's your message, I suppose, going to be? Because you said, you know, there's, there's, there's some long-term change mm. here, but there's some short-term. Are you, have you worked out in your mind what the short-term action needs to be? Well, that's really interesting. Having just opened our recruitment window for applications, <laughs> right. um, it's it's perhaps um, given my experiment of last week. It's a little bit too early for me to yes. make any any immediate changes to the advice. I mean, what I would be saying, um, I have a um, an eighteen year old son who's just gone to university, so I, I'm often giving little bits, hints, and tips. But I think. Um, what we've seen and, and through some of your actual research is there's a, um, an assessment centre at the end. So um, I'd just be a little bit cautious around using chat GPT too much and then finding yourself um, unstuck when it comes to the maybe the face to face assessment or or the, you know, the interactive assessment, because I think uh, organisations have seen a, a reduction in, in the quality in, in, in some areas. That's for now. Um, but most certainly what we're focusing on now is is the selection process for, for next year, yes. which I um, anticipate might be rather different. Um, we've started really, you know, and we, we've got a sharp focus on the productivity and efficiency agenda in government, but also that's, you know, in, in terms of HR and selection and assessment. And it's been very exciting um, that we've been able to incorporate some um, robots in the back end of okay. the selection process. So that's more in terms of the um, the security, um, vetting, the check-in. Um, but actually, we're, we're learning a lot from that experience. We're, we're thinking about how we can we can use Gen AI in, in perhaps things like what we don't have at the moment is, is a chatbot at the, the front end. So we're thinking about how we can make the candidate experience um, much more slicker, uh, engaging, um, uh, evolving. Um, but then similarly, really thinking about, right, okay, what what 
will our pro selection process consist of? Will we remove the, the situational judgment test? Will we have the emphasis on task-based assessments? And we're just we're just working through some of that at, at the moment, but that's quite exciting. Mm. Um, but whilst also looking for the quick wins, and, yeah. and I think some of the quick wins are, you know, bringing our digital friends, we call them our digital friends, in uh, different parts of the process, because in, from an efficiency angle, um, I think that has less risk. Because um, I was quite struck, actually, by... Um, the findings of your research and I've been th very thoughtful from a um, an ethical point of view around well what could the, some of the negative consequences mm -hmm. of using chat GPT be in from a candidate angle and looking at your findings around um, the, the free Yes. The, the paid for version outperforming mm -hmm. the free version mm -hmm. I've been thinking well actually we've um, since 2015 16 had this real commitment to inclusion to widening representation to really thinking about um, social mobility we've got um, a, a priority commitment to level up the country so what I'm thinking is well okay are those candidates who can't afford the paid for version yes. going to be at a, a disadvantage comparatively to those who can so there are some real considerations and I think like anything we need to be just have our eyes wide open around the pros and cons because there are lots of pros yes. but we also need to think of how do we mitigate some of those real uh, potential kind of risks and biases that might creep in yes no thank you and i love your sort of what i i call your sort of cautious optimism that you know we mm -hmm. we uh, this is exciting and and it's it's lovely to see you know your own personal genuine excitement about what this means but at the same time being very thoughtful around there are implications around this and I th think for me one of the most interesting parts of our research was that the paid for version mm. of ChatGPT significantly outperformed um, the free version and so the the implications of what Gen AI is going to mean in the process uh, are are more than just uh, how it works it's there's different versions of it and we need to understand you know what yeah. what that will mean um there's still things around bias around mm -hmm. this as well that we need to, to work through and and i suppose i like your point and, and this would be interesting in terms of you know your advice to to other ta leaders mm. thinking about you know what what do they do and how do they address this because it's clearly something they have to do now is how do you experiment uh, with this and get to know it? And so if, if I understood correctly mm -hmm. from what you were just sharing there, that, that one way to get to know it is to, is to use it, is actually bring in a chatbots is clearly one mm. great way to do it and understand. So experiment a bit by bringing it in. I mean, that must be quite hard, though, in the public sector because you don't, you know, there's so many consequences of being able to pilot something but is, how, is that how you're going about you know, getting your team to get more comfortable with this is, is, is to bring in, I like your term, digital friends, is it? So to, to bring in some, um, some elements that has the least risk, I suppose, of, of, of any adverse impact, mm -hmm. but you can just, gives you, a, I suppose, a, a sense of how does AI work, uh, is that is that how you're you're doing it? And, and when you when you bring that in, are you doing any kind of vulnerability check as well on this too? Yeah, um, you know, I think the vulnerability check is um, paramount. So mm. we have um, our teams of 
that are multidisciplinary. So with um, analysts, the data scientists, the digital folk, the psychologists, all kind of looking at different elements of um, impact. I think what we are finding, um, and, and things often take longer, I think, yes. in government. You know, we, we have, for, for good reason, um, lengthy procurement um, and commercial processes. So mm-hmm. I think sometimes we'd like to move quicker, but a good way of trying to test out some things quite quickly can be by developing um, internal teams, having a kind of sandbox, if you like, right. to, to kind mm-hmm. of try out new ways of doing things. Um, Actually, moving away from a selection and an assessment piece, um, but we the way that we manage our postings for the graduates um, is, is quite complex. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, any one time there are over 2,000 um, graduates on a scheme right. and they move each year to a new posting. And we've built in some algorithms to, to speed up that process. Um, what we're lo- what we're, we've found at the moment is that the, um, the algorithm is... Um, is as good as a human in terms of weighing up all of the preferences, the particular bespoke L&D requirements. So um, we're still testing that out at the moment, but that's an example of where we can test out something. Um, There's a human kind of QA check in place, but that actually is much quicker. So that's, um, you know, taken kind of 10 working days of, of our postings process, which is great. And then we can start to explore, okay, so how could we apply that kind of methodology in, you know, perhaps in a in a test context? But yes. I think the principle that I go back to is, you know, let's not incorporate a methodology into making a hiring decision unless we know that we can, you know, we're confident in terms of the reliability and the validity yes. and the fairness. Yes. It always comes back to fairness as well. No, thank you. And I think that first principles is 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 absolutely spot on. Uh, I really like that sort of example of, you know, how you you can get familiar with um, uh, an algorithm and therefore, you know, AI on this. And one of the things as you were talking about that that sort of popped into my mind was this was a fairly it seems a sort of mundane mm. process of, okay, I've got 2,000 people, how do I move them around? An algorithm will look at its preferences. Because my big thing about uh, ultimately uh, anything that we introduce mm-hmm. artificial intelligence to is transparency. Mm-hmm. So you've got two things around this. Is, is there a, a hypothesis and a model from which, and of course you have mm. existing data on there, you introduce an algorithm and then you need to have some transparency around this to make sure that... I, you know, just as an example, that men aren't being pushed into one way and women into another. Yeah. So how did you interrogate that? Or was that that part, I, you know, back to that sort of vulnerability? Mm-hmm. Uh, because that was a great example of this isn't a hiring decision, but it's still actually quite important for somebody's future and outcome. So how, how, how did you interrogate whether the algorithm was doing it in the right way? Or were you able to? Or do you worry whether you're able to? Well, it's it's still a work in progress, that particular right. example. And so the teams were carrying out the quality assurance to check if there were any unintended kind of posting um, outcomes that yes. the algorithm had made. You know, what, what was the error rate, basically, yes. um, the teams. Yes. And th- there was still a margin of error. Um, so we haven't actually rolled out the particular, you know, the, the team are um, iterating and um, and tweaking the, the algorithm. And I guess that brings back, you know, that's the other concern. What goes in, if that's poor data, poor coding, poor um, 
formula, then you know that's yes. going to have perhaps a detrimental outcome. So we've got to be really um, acutely um, aware and switched on around that. So, and I guess that is one of my fears around people rushing too quickly because they think, mm-hmm. oh, actually, mm-hmm. you know, this has saved us X amount of hours, X amount of money. That then actually then let's let's not worry too much about the unintended consequences. So. I'm afraid I'm often the the voice of doom and gloom around, you know, we need to take care to to do things properly before rushing off in one direction. Um, So I think doing that safely with the guardrails, like I've mentioned, um, is possible. Um, It's still possible to innovate, but doing that carefully and perhaps, um, on, on, like I say, in a sandbox rather than scaling up immediately. Yes, I, I think that's great advice and that the... You know, particularly when something's moving so quickly and everybody's talking about it and you've got the likes of Microsoft and others just suddenly we're going to have, you know, co-pilots and digital assistants mm-hmm. all over our, our lives soon. And, and and that feels like there is a, you know, just a, a, a sort of constant push, adopt and, mm-hmm. and worry about the consequences afterwards. But I think what you, you rightly point out is... There may well be unintended consequences, so put it in a sandbox first. And and I suppose that my kind of final kind of question for you around all of this is, is is how do you have any sort of one or two sort of bits of guidance or advice that you'd give somebody that was running a team with you know, selection methods mm. that are based on questions and how over the next sort of 12 months that they might take some actions and interventions or read some things or experiment with some things. What what would your advice be to, you know, to somebody uh, who, who was leading a team, a graduate team on this and, and, and how, how they might prepare for what's what's coming down the line uh, so i think first off keep pace mm-hmm. um if anyone stands still um, for too long then you're going to get left behind and you know that's not going to make for a good candidate experience um if you want to attract the, the top talent and i think like i said at the outset we've seen such you know such advancement over the last even the last two to three years I only see that kind of accelerating a bit more so I think in order to prepare for that and and keep pace um you know your research is a good starting point because I think that there are some great takeaways there in terms of how recruiters can be really thinking um around about embracing rather than deterring um can be thinking about more holistic task-based methodology as opposed to reliance on some of the traditional methodologies I think secondly um, my advice is always if you're unsure ask an expert yes um, ask a psychologist ask someone who's got some experience um, in in really developing tests and selection methods and that's a must because you know ensuring that tests are reliable and fair is what keeps us out of employment tribunals quite frankly (laughs) so we need to do that Um, and again just be really mindful about not forgetting the basics so as ever with any you know incorporating any test or assessment looking for any unintended consequences any particular bias are there any differentials between um, particular groups protected or unprotected i think um, that's um, my advice but 
be creative and, and innovate because uh, this is this is really exciting. It's going to change how we um, recruit and, and we've got to keep up. You know, the world mm-hmm. of work is changing and, and we should be excited rather than fearful about this, I think. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Sonia. Three great bits of advice and, and I, I, I love... Uh, your final perspective about this that you know we, we we need to accept that it's here and be creative about it rather than fearful of it while at the same time understanding what the consequences might be and 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 being mindful of those and it's been fascinating um, hearing your advice and I know a lot of people would um, take away a lot of great things from from what you've shared so thank you so much for coming along the podcast and uh, best of luck in in continuing to uh, run and develop, um, you know, the Fast Stream uh, Civil Service Program, which is you know one of one of the ones that I know uh, a lot of people aspire to in terms of uh, being a, a great example of a of a really good program. So, thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you found the insights in this episode valuable, don't forget to hit the subscribe button to keep up to date with our latest episodes. And if you have a moment, please do rate and review the podcast. Apparently, it helps more people like you find us.